This week on Myths and Legends, we're telling a dark, intricate story of the famous Chinese warrior woman, Mulan. This is a story we've never told before, sourced from the Middle Ages. A story with so many twists that Mulan's big secret, that she's a woman pretending to be a man to take her father's place in the army, is pretty much the least of her worries. The creature this week is the manticore, a lion with a human head who's always smiling. Because it has like 90 teeth, it can't close its mouth. Seriously, it's deeply unsettling. This is Myths and Legends, episode 194, The Warrior. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Speaking of stories you thought you knew, this week's episode is a new Mulan story. Well, it's over 300 years old, so it's not new, but it's one that's widely incorporated into the supposed origins of the larger Mulan story. It's much more intricate than the 6th century Ballad of Mulan. And though it starts in a similar place, it ends in a far different one. We will start, of course, with Hua Mulan taking her father's place in the army. But before that, we'll take a quick dive into the reason the war started in the first place. A man who escapes death should do great things. His house was quiet. He had come home from the city to find his home torn open and his wife and children dead in the doorway. It was a death that was meant for him. It wasn't the bandits of the mountains, though. It was the government. The emperor. It was the people who were supposed to be protecting them. Dojiande had been born in the empire, but it wasn't until he was 38 years old that that became a problem. In 611, the floods began to hit the region he called home, the region of his family and his friends, people who knew how hard this world could be and who helped each other out. The floods that didn't take the homes took the crops, and soon, people were starving. Then, the call came down. Emperor Yang of the Sui Dynasty needed men for his war in the east, against a kingdom that, today, would comprise most of North and South Korea. The people of the region were taken aback. Seriously, their families were dying as they weathered floods and tried to squeeze what little food they could from the ground. And the emperor wanted them to fight in a war a thousand miles away. One man, who had lost his wife to starvation and his farm to floods, went to the local magistrate, begging him to be reasonable. That man, Sun Enzu, returned from the magistrate covered in blood. His own and the magistrate's. He had begged for an exemption but he was met with a whip. Everything came out in that moment. His frustration at the elements for the floods, his anguish over his wife, his rage at an empire for not only not understanding, but wanting more from them when there was no more to give. Some refused to go, but he did the right thing, going and asking the magistrate on behalf of his whole region, and he was whipped like an animal, not imagining that anyone would dare defy the Sui dynasty. The magistrate didn't see the knife until it was too late. With his death, a rebellion started. Well, not a rebellion, not yet. The several hundred families in the mountains banded together. If they were going to be pushed around by an empire, 
then they would push back. Sun Anzu led a group of bandits to pillage the cities. They didn't pillage Dojiande's home, though. They knew him as a good man who supported the cause. That's how, when Dojiande returned that fateful day and found his family dead, the farmer became a soldier. He joined Sun Enzu officially and became the general of a growing army. For once, it looked like they might be able to throw off the yoke of empire and control their own destiny. Coincidence conspired to put Dojiande in command when Sun Enzu was killed in battle. The army of the mountains, now 10,000 strong, marched against the empire. And they won. They took not only their home, but surrounding territory. Dojiande didn't hoard the spoils of war, but distributed them freely among his men. And he didn't sit while others toiled, often working late into the night around camp, in addition to planning and executing battles. In him, people saw a different kind of leader. And Dojiande commanded almost fanatical loyalty. The soldiers were willing to fight and die for him. His tactical ability, combined with his army of freedom fighters who were going up against the conscripts from half an empire, and some luck when the emperor was assassinated, meant that he had taken back his homeland. No more would they be forced to bow to conquerors, to fight and die in wars that had nothing to do with them. They were their own people, and they would live free. For, like, three years. It actually works out that we're covering this story directly after resuming the journey to the west because they take place in roughly the same time period. With the fall of the Sui Dynasty and the rise of the Tang, or Tang, a young general was making a name for himself. But the name at the time was not the name he would be known by. He was named Li Ximin, but he would soon go by the name Emperor Taizong. As he looked at the map, at the fumblings of the previous dynasty, he decided to take back the land that had been lost. The war, the war that everyone thought was won, began anew. Kwa Mulan tightened the straps of her armor. Well, not her armor. Her father's armor. She didn't have armor. She was a woman. She was expected to marry, raise children. But all that was before the war. Like a snowflake that fell before a blizzard, the Khan's first card, recruiting, demanding her father or his son come to war, fell on their life, changing it forever. The war wasn't a secret. They lived on the borderlands. Mulan and her siblings were themselves both Turkic and Chinese. Their parents had found a love that spanned cultures and raised them there, in the Turkic lands, under the Khan, on the border of the empire. There had been war for as long as Mulan could remember, but it had always been farther away. But now, her people were forced to get involved. Dojiande and the rebels were pushing back at the empire, and the Khan had made a deal. The deal with the new Tang emperor. He would fight on behalf of the Chinese. But really, he saw weakness in both the rebels and the empire. He would let them fight each other, and while they were distracted, he would carve out some land for himself. Now, in the final days of the war, the Khan entered battle and demanded that every family send a male soldier to fight the rebels. Mere days after the first card arrived, from Mulan's father, one of the most senior men in the village, the blizzard of cards demanding service to the Khan had begun, and the people were preparing to leave. Mulan remembered watching her father, hands shaking, looking at the card, while their mother snatched it from him 
He wasn't proud. He knew how old he was. He was like a loose stone that would send the whole wall crumbling down. But what could he do? They were expected to publicly announce their intent to join the war. Their son was still a toddler. He could pay his way out, Mulan's mother said. They still had friends, and they had enough money for a sizable bribe for an exemption. But he frowned. Where did that leave them? They had worked for their entire lives for that money. That was their retirement, Mulan's dowry. With that, Mulan rose and left. She had heard all she needed to. As in the Ballad of Hua Mulan, the titular hero wasn't like other girls. She didn't care about makeup and clothes, and eventually, her mom just gave up, letting her spend her days with her father. The father had been a warrior in his youth, and taught his daughter, who was quickly growing up to be taller than him, everything he knew. He taught her to fight with a sword, staff, spear, bow. He taught her how to ride and survive in the wild. He even taught her how to put on armor. He never thought that he would need it. He thought that the peace, the peace that had led to their family, would last forever. She had never tried on her father's armor before, though, and she was surprised by the fit. She looked at her reflection in the water barrel, with her hair chopped and pinned up. Without makeup and in his armor, she might be able to pull it off. She'd have to be smart, of course. Then, another reflection appeared in the water barrel. What are you doing? Her mother demanded. But Hua Mulan pushed past her. She found her father, sitting in the main room, taking a rest as he finished up with his pack. He looked to his eldest daughter and sighed. If only she was a man. Mulan scooped the pack from the ground. She was going. Her father laughed, but she kept talking. She was going. Her mother was Turkic and her father was Chinese. This was her war, and it didn't make sense for her father to go and die. She could do more fighting than she could here in mourning. Besides, women used makeup to cover a lot more than this. Right, mother? The mother gritted her teeth. Not to cover up that, Mulan. Not to go in the midst of a thousand male warriors, Mulan. If, uh, when she was found, what did she think was going to happen to her? They wouldn't just throw up their hands and send her home, that's for sure. Flinging her pack over her back, Mulan shook her head. She wouldn't be found, then. Just then, a knock pounded on the door. Hey, hey who? Which, uh, Hua Hu was the father's name. We going or we going? The father struggled to his feet and walked over to the door. He opened it, revealing an old man and two young men. Oof, you got old. You're not dressed? The man who was only a few years younger than her father said, entering the house. He had served with Hu when they were both as young as the men who followed him inside. Then he laid eyes on Mulan. Oh, he has a son? Why did he not remember who had a son? He doesn't like to brag, Mulan said, nearly tall enough to meet the man's gaze. She met his eyes, too, unflinching. This was it. If she passed this test, she could pass all others. If she failed, her father died. She would not fail. The old man shrugged. Well, uh, good for who then? His old comrade said that he never had any sons, so he was going back. He introduced Hu to the two young men following him. They were the boys of two of the other men in their old company. The rest were meeting them at camp. Well, let's go then, Mulan said, nodding and making for the door. Stop, Hu boomed with such authority that the whole room did. He rose, walking over to his daughter. He embraced her and wept. Who? 
It'll be fine, I'll look after him, the father's old friend said. But through the tears, who shook his head? No, he didn't need it. He had trained his child well. Moonlaw nodded, wiped her eyes, and left. If you're wondering how the Hua family got away with it, how none of the neighbors realized that they didn't have a son to send to war, and they were actually sending their daughter, well, they didn't actually get away with it. The neighbors saw everything, but didn't realize it until after Mulan was gone, and then chastised the family relentlessly for sending their daughter into such a dangerous situation. Not just dangerous because of the battles, but because what they feared would happen when the men found out that a woman was in their midst. But they didn't. Not for the first few months, at least. Mulan fought, and her fame grew. She started as the lowest type of soldier, but the men saw her training, her fearlessness, her rock-solid resolve. Men were drawn to her, and not just because of the confusing feelings. Soon, she was leading her whole team, the best of the best. She was going to fight alongside her Khan. The Khan inspected this new general, one who had risen in the ranks faster than anyone before him. Something... Something was different about this guy. Ah, anyway, the Khan said that Dojiande and his ilk were untrained thieves, and the empire was full of scared boys pressed into service. They would mow through both and claim new lands. Mulan didn't care. She truly did not care about the Khan's glory or lands or even the war. She was here because she had to be, for her parents, for her sisters and brother, so that everyone could have a future. It was a muddy day when Dojiande's warriors emerged from the forest. They were fighting a war on two fronts now, one against the Tang Empire and the other against the Khanate to the north. They were divided, and they were fighting for their freedom. So everyone joined, men and women. The Khan laughed as, arrayed against him and his men, dozens of women on horseback charged. He stopped laughing when his men started dying. Among the blood, spears, and the anachronistic canons, because this was written in the 1600s, despite being set in the 7th century, the Khan lost his horse, and one of the rebel warrior women cut it down. The men that didn't flee fought, and died. A warrior looming over him, the Khan flinched as she stabbed out with a spear, but he didn't feel the blow. He looked up. It was Hua Hu's boy, the general. He had jumped from his horse, and blocked the spear at the last moment killing the attacker. He had saved the life of his Khan. Mulan turned to the leader, sprawled out supine on the ground. Go, she screamed, as the rebel warriors started closing in around them and the countless corpses. He looked to her, nodded, shouting that he would remember Hua Hu's boy. He had brought honor to his family. The rebels tried to advance, tried to chase after the Khan as he scrambled back to his own line, which was in full-on retreat, but they couldn't. Mulan had remounted her horse and called the last of her team to her. They would be the rear guard for the Khan, allowing as many to retreat as they could. She had done what she set out to do. Her family was safe. The Khan was out of the war, decisively, and she had survived for nearly two years in the army without being discovered. Now, it was time for a good death. The whole army stood arrayed around her and her men. She told them to follow her, not for some con, but for their homes, their families, 
to protect as many as possible as they fled the battlefield and the war. Mulan charged, and her warriors followed. She killed countless rebels as they tried to get past her, but, like all the others, they failed and fell while she stayed atop her horse. But one person can't stand against an army, one lone figure against an avalanche of spears. Mulan's horse fell before she did, and she ended up pinned underneath it, fighting from the ground against all who approached her. Finally, gloriously, as the advancing infantry piled over the corpses to gain what few parting shots they could against the retreating Khan, Hua Mulan closed her eyes and let death take her. But it wasn't death that took her. Just before she lost consciousness, the army stopped rushing all around her. She heard a voice say, that one. And she felt the weight of her dead horse lifted and rough hands bind and gag her. Hua Mulan, the hero of her people, had been captured by the rebels. She came to in a tent. The wind was whipping the outside. How long had she been out? <gasps> she gasped, but her clothes and armor were still in place. She was still dressed exactly as she had been on the battlefield. Her secret was still safe. She was bound on the mat, on the ground, next to a man she had never seen before. Someone stood over her. A woman. A woman with a knife. What's your name? The woman demanded with an insistence that seemed to indicate that it wasn't the first time she had asked this. The knife coming to rest on Mulan's throat. Hu, Mulan managed. Her, her name was Hu. The woman took a deep breath. She knew this was a lie. What was the soldier's name? Mulan paused. And then she shrugged. You know what? If she was going to die, she might as well die as herself. Mulan. Her name was Hua Mulan. The woman grinned. There! Was that so hard? She brought the knife down and cut the ropes that bound Mulan's wrists. Mulan was, I mean, confused, didn't even begin to cover it. What was going on? She stood. Why, why had this woman spared her? The woman, named Shan, asked why Mulan had joined the army dressed like a man. Mulan said it was her father, her whole family, really. They would be bankrupt or worse if her elderly father had been forced to go, and besides, he wouldn't have lasted long in this. She was only doing what was right. There, right there, that's why Shaam was sparing her. She was a good person. I mean, it was up to Mulan, really. She could have Mulan executed for the Khan, the man who had abandoned her, or Mulan could live for the woman who had saved her. It was Mulan's choice. Die here for the Khan, or stay as the handmaiden of Do Shan, daughter of Do Jiande. For all the Khan knew, she was dead. Mulan's family was safe and honored. Shan was a warrior, too. She said that Mulan had to be her handmaiden, at least for a little while, until she was above suspicion. But honestly, Shan trusted her. She said that no one would do what Mulan did. 
put herself in such danger for her family if she was a bad person. She saw out there in the battlefield, too. Women fought with the rebels. She could stay here and fight if she wanted, or stay here and rest. She had earned it. Meanwhile, Shayan would be honored if Mulan would be her sworn sister. Tears began to fall as relief flooded over Mulan. It had been months, years, since she had been able to breathe at all. Now, she had relief. She nodded, embracing Shan, her new sister. She looked at Mulan. They may be sworn sisters, but she was not cutting her hair. Did Mulan do that herself? That looked horrendous. When Mulan had washed and changed, when she looked and felt like herself for the first time in over a year, she returned to Shayan's tent, where Shayung, the princess, was interrogating another prisoner. He begged, saying he wasn't actually Turkic, he was Chinese, which, yeah, I mean, actually still the enemy, but he wasn't a soldier either. He was a messenger who had been found traveling through recently captured territory by the Turkic forces. He knew enough to convince them that he was a lost recruit and he and his horse were pressed into service. Shayan demanded to know about the message he carried, and he shook his head. He swore an oath, but uh, also seeing as she had a knife to his throat, it probably wouldn't be difficult to just reach into his pack and find it. Lo Cheng, she read the name. The messenger nodded. Yeah, famous Chinese general and warlord. You know him? Shayan didn't respond as she read the recipient, and it's too... A matchmaker? Shayan gasped and gripped the letter close to her chest. The messenger said, uh, Okay, what's, what's, uh, what's, uh, what's going on here? She said this man was free to go. The people looked at her. He was their enemy. Caught fighting on behalf of their other enemy. What would her father say about this? Shayan said that her father wasn't here, so this man was to be set free. She pressed the letter into his hands. Go. The messenger not needing extra incentive to flee from his second captivity in as many weeks, rode from the camp within the hour. News of the victory in the north over the Turkic forces that had allied themselves with the empire quickly flew south. But that was met with even better news. Dojiande had the empire on the run. He had captured 20,000 warriors, only to let them go. Let them return to their families and homes, so their people didn't starve like his did. When he took a city, he kept his men from all manner of horrible things that people did when they sacked an ancient world city. I mean, see the Troy episode on that one. So he had a lot more people willing to open up their gates for him than to endure a month-long siege. So, how did he fall? Part of it was that the Sui Emperor was assassinated by his own advisors, which, at the start, was a good thing. But it was also a bad thing, because it led to one of the Chinese nobles staging a coup in the capital, becoming Emperor Gaozo of the Tang he gave his son the seemingly impossible task of putting down Dojiande and his rebellion. He sent out a normal general who became a man who would change history and become an emperor himself. Li Ximin, who would become known as Emperor Taizong, didn't defeat Dojiande by attacking his land, or his self-proclaimed kingdom, but by attacking his neighbor and ally. Against everyone's advice, Dojiande went to his ally's aid and attacked the Tang forces, who he vastly outnumbered. 
They hunkered down, and when Dojiande's men became tired, Li Ximin attacked, capturing the rebel leader himself. Remember, Dojiande is the father of Xian, Mulan's new BFF, and they got the news of his capture when her mother and one of his generals rode north. The princess, though, was not disturbed. She was resolute. She would ride south to pry her father from the jaws of the Tang dynasty. Her mother gripped her arm. What was she talking about? Li Ximin might have taken her father back to the capital, but his armies were still marching north, retaking all the land that the previous emperor had lost. She was a lone bird flying right into a storm. Shan smiled. She knew, but she wouldn't be alone. She was bringing Mulan. The women silently, bloodlessly, made their way south to the capital. Neither of them too proud to sleep in a ditch or under leaves to avoid being spotted by any curious Tang troops. Soon, they stood outside the gates of the capital, one ruled over by a new emperor, and Shayan and Mulan gripped their daggers. Today was the day that they got her father back. Mulan nodded at the one woman who had accepted her for who she was, her sworn sister, who she would fight next to and, if it was her time, die next to. So she was confused when, instead of charging the gates and killing the elite Imperial Guard one by one Jason Bourne style, she put the knife in her mouth, between her teeth. Perplexed, Mulan followed her lead and bowed. It wasn't long before the members of the Imperial Guard approached, wanting to know what these women were doing. Mulan grinned. Here, here is where they submitted to die? At least, that's what Shan said. Uh, okay, she would submit to die for Dojiande. That's, well, okay, we'll see how this plays out. The women were allowed to keep their knives as they bowed low before Li Ximin, the future Emperor Taizong, the general who had, against all odds, taken Shan's father alive, and in doing so, cut off the head of a rebellion. Mulan narrowed her eyes. Here she was, on her knees with her knife, before the emperor's son, the second most powerful man in her world, and the enemy of both her people and Shan's. This was where they make it right. Shan took the knife from her own mouth and set it on the ground. Oh, okay. Turned out this was not where they fought back to back against the Emperor in an epic Star Wars-style throne room battle. This, this was where they died. All right. She, too, took the knife from her mouth and followed her sworn sister's lead. Shan said that they had traveled from the northern front. She didn't need to, but here she was. She was here to trade her life for her father's. The person next to her was Hua Mulan, she had dressed up like a man for over a year to join the army in the place of her aging father. She had fought as an ally of the empire, but now she, too, was here to give her life for Dojiande. Li Ximin, the general, nodded to his guards, the executioners, and they lowered their weapons. Li Ximin rose. He said that he would not accept Shan's life for her father's. 
Shan's tears fell. But Li Ximin raised his hand. He wasn't finished. He wouldn't accept it. Because he was no longer going to execute Dojiande for his rebellion. The young general relaxed. This, this was what he wanted his empire to be. He wanted it to be strong. But he wanted the connections between his people, the families, to be strong as well. A daughter willing to sacrifice her life for her father? Another joining the army in her father's place? This was filial piety. This was what he wanted for his life and his empire. It was time to heal. Dojiande was brought in and bowed low before the man who had beaten him. But Li Ximin told the man who had been his rival on the battlefield to stand. He wouldn't be allowed to return to his homeland or his family, but he would be allowed to live as a monk, to shave his head and spend the rest of his days honoring the Buddha. The once rebel nodded to the general. He was truly gracious and kind. But he wasn't, of course. I mean, in the story today we're telling, yeah, absolutely. Li Ximen, the future Tang Emperor, was a great guy. He never preached filial piety while ambushing his brothers on the road and killing them, and then forcing his own father to abdicate under the threat of death. He definitely was super cool with pardoning the rebel leader, too. In the story. In real life, his father had the rural rebel executed as soon as he could. Mulan, though, was honored by the emperor's son and was offered anything she wanted. She knew what she would choose. She wanted to see the people for whom she had sacrificed everything. She wanted to go home. Li Ximen said, sure. I mean, he was offering her anything she wanted from the whole empire, but she was choosing to leave. You know what? Why was he working against himself here? Sure, just have like a, I don't know. You want like a whole sack full of gold? Get her a whole sack full of gold. That'll be good. You get a whole sack full of gold. All right, bye then. As Mulan got her horse packed up, she heard footsteps behind her. It was Shan. She embraced her sworn sister, who wished her safety on her journey north, back to her homeland outside the empire. They would always be friends. They would always be sisters. Then, Shan took out a letter. She said she bet Mulan wondered why, on the day Mulan was taken captive, she took one look at the letter that the captive had and let the enemy go. Mulan shook her head. Not really. I mean, everyone has their secrets and she kind of had a lot on her mind that day. Shan smiled. Well, now the mystery will be revealed. Mulan shook her head. She really didn't care. She was going home. And it seems a little late in the episode to be starting a subplot. But Shan kept talking. She was in love. She was in love with the famous warlord slash general Lu Cheng. They met each other long ago, when he came to speak with her father about joining the rebellion. Cheng didn't join, but the time they shared together was magical. From that day on, they pledged to only be with each other, and anyone else Cheng also married because this was medieval China. Still, they loved each other. The letter to a matchmaker was exactly what Cheng said he would do. It was for her. But even though her show of piety had moved General Li, it would be weeks, months, until she wasn't watched in the capital. Besides, she was being considered as a concubine. But she had been a princess. She wanted more than that. She wanted to be with the man she loved, and who loved her. She needed to get him a message to tell him that she was safe, even with the fall of her father's kingdom, and that they could now be together. She just needed Mulan to get this message to him, she said pressing the letter in Mulan's hand. 
Mulan could go home first, of course, and see her family, but Shan knew that she couldn't trust this message to anyone else, and that only Mulan would see this task through. Then, if Mulan wanted, she and her family could return to the capital. She was already a hero, and she and her family could live in honor here. Mulan nodded and embraced her sworn sister. You know, that sounded wonderful. She would see the princess again soon, but the man she loved in tow. As Mulan traveled through the country, heading north, she watched the sun rise on a new day. She didn't care much about the politics of the land, who controlled what, who got to call themselves emperor. She cared about the people, and the end of the war was good for everyone. The people didn't care about who sat on what throne, only that they had enough for the ones they loved to live in peace and security. She traveled across rivers and over plains, over deserts and mountains, until, finally, she was back home, back to the people she had left for, fought for, been willing to die for. She now returned home with enough gold for them to live off of forever and an invitation to come to the center of their world, the Tang Empire. And as soon as she rounded the corner to her home, she took a deep breath. Everything was gonna be all right. Her home, though, was different. It was overgrown, falling apart. The stones in the walls were tumbling free. The moss was creeping across the roof. The fields were more weeds than crops. What had happened? She turned her horse and spurred him toward town. She found her mother at the well, and the woman looked at Mulan, looked back to the well, then dropped her bucket and flew to her daughter. They thought she was dead. They all thought she was dead. She was a hero here. The Khan himself came to honor the family, and he was floored to learn that the man who had personally saved him on the battlefield by taking on an army himself wasn't a man. By his creepy overtures and glances to Mulan's underage sisters, it was pretty clear he wasn't using this as a learning moment to rethink his previously held stances on gender politics, but the Khan shrugged, said that by the look of her sisters, he would have liked to meet a woman like Mulan without her armor on and left without incident. Mulan asked her mother what happened to their home. Mulan's mother's eyes fell to the ground. It was her father. Mulan stood before the simple headstone on the back of the property. He got sick not long after Mulan left. He didn't suffer long. Mulan was numb. This, this had all been for him. For the man who had taught her everything she knew. For the man who believed she could and would be more than society said she could be. Her mother had remarried. She didn't have much of a choice. She had three children at home to support. Yulan, Mulan's sister, was older now and could help out. But things had been different then. A war was on and Mulan's mother was lucky to find a new stepfather for the children. She didn't love him like she loved Hu, but they were secure, and he was kind. That was enough. Mulan told her mother about the gold and the princess and everything. They could leave this place now. They could live in honor. Her mother smiled sadly, 
she had a life here. But Mulan could go. She should go. She didn't, though, not right away. She was going to. She could see that there wasn't life for her here now. She wasn't sure if there had ever been. Still, she couldn't leave her family home or her father's grave in that condition. Then, she would leave and deliver Shayan's message before heading back to be with her sworn sister. In the meantime, while she prepared to leave, she was something of a living legend among the village. The people were stunned by her devotion to her father and her family, and her reputation and her story spread far and wide. Too far, and too wide, it seemed, because it wasn't a month after she was back, before Mulan had some visitors. She didn't recognize the men, but she knew them. She remembered them from the day she saved the life of her Khan, the ruler. They were his personal guard. Mulan froze, and then nodded at the two men on horseback. They nodded back. They said they were here from the Khan. They were from her new husband. Really? We're leaving with that? The other man said. It's not really even true. I mean, come on, they talked about this. The other man turned to Mulan. Hi, sorry about my friend. He likes to be direct, the other guard said. You're not going to be the Khan's wife. That's ridiculous. You're going to be his concubine, the man said. His slave, Mulan started. His sec- His concubine, the guard interrupted. Uh, we call it concubine. Anyway, he has been super obsessed with you since you saved his life. He has all manner of sec- concubines, but not one that saved his life in battle and held off an army. He was so delighted that you returned, the man paused, looking Mulan up and down, unscathed from your time in the army. So he wanted us to come collect you. Ew, no, I don't want to do that, and I saved his life, Mulan said. The man shrugged. Ah, that was your first mistake, I guess. He saw her glance toward her spear, resting on the house. Oh, yeah, don't make a second mistake, though. I've heard about you. I, I get it. You could kill us. No problem. But what would that mean for your family? He watched her make the connection. Oh yeah, no, we didn't come alone. The Khan's men are keeping your family company right now. At your stepdad's place? Is that who he is? Nice guy. Yeah, nothing personal, but if we die, they die. Mulan's hands started shaking with rage. After everything, everything that she had been through, everything that she had done for her family and for the Khan personally, I mean, the man owed her his life, she was now being forced to be what we will call his concubine. Still, she said she had done worse to keep her family safe. She had been through worse. It wasn't fair. But neither was uh, like trying to draft an old man for military service. Life, it seemed, wasn't fair. She said she would go. The cons man said that, uh, cool, it was literally her only option, so good choice. She said she only wanted to say goodbye to her family. The men shrugged. Sure, yeah, there's nothing saying you can't do that. They made sure she didn't have any weapons on her before she entered the house. I'm not sure if concubine for the Khan would have been an auspicious match for Mulan, so I don't know how her mother would have taken the news. The sisters were huddled in the back room, though, door being watched by their stepfather in the event that any of the soldiers tried to enter. Mulan hugged each of them in turn. But she spent longer talking to Yulan, her oldest sister. The younger kid saw Mulan press something into her hand before nodding to her sister and leaving the room. Mulan rode back to her family house, 
much to the anger of the guards, but she said she had to prepare for the journey and say goodbye to another family member, her father. She emerged from her home in traveling clothes and said that the grave was at the back of the property. She only wanted a few moments in private to say goodbye. Then she would leave. They allowed it, and she made her way back to his headstone. More than a few moments passed, though, and the guards yelled back to Mulan. It was time to go. The Khan didn't like to... They stopped talking when they parted the leaves. There, on her father's grave, they found Mulan, the greatest warrior in the land, dead. She cut her own throat with a dagger, one that she had hidden in her dress. Mulan died, hugging the gravestone of her father. The guards sneered, whatever, go get the younger one. The Khan said if anything went wrong with Mulan, he wanted her. The other guard nodded and took off toward the home of Mulan's mother. The youngest daughter and son were screaming, holding each other. They said they saw her do it. She put on the armor and climbed out the window. The guards sneered and rushed to the stable, but a horse was gone. Like her sister before her, Hua Yulan had fled wearing her father's armor. The Khan's men swore and gave chase down the road they thought she went, but they never found her, and they never would. In one of the darker endings for the classic legend, this version of Mulan's story ends with her taking her own life, rather than be the forced concubine of the Khan, a man whose life she saved, I guess showing that no good deed goes unpunished. There is a little epilogue, well, it'll be an epilogue for us. In the source I used, it takes up at least as much space as Mulan's story, when Hua Yulan delivers the letter to Cheng, the famous general and warlord, who had the star-crossed lovers thing going on with Shan. He overheard that the young scholar messenger who arrived with the message from Shan was actually a woman. So what does this very lovesick and committed guy do? Well, he corners this young man, Wulan, who apparently did not have her sister's skill for this and was only barely pulling it off since everyone in court seemed to know immediately. And he said that to prove the young man's masculinity they should share a bed. Since not wanting to share a bed with a rich male stranger who has plenty of beds for guests is grounds for immediate suspicion that you're not actually a man, Yulan shared his bed. When the wedding between Chen and Xian was arranged and the pair finally met, she was surprised to learn that Yulan, Mulan's sister, was here. Also dressed like a guy, she guessed that ran in the family, and that she was secretly sharing the bed of her fiancé every night for months on end. The story spares us from Icelandic saga levels of revenge when Sham produces a jade pendant that can apparently tell if a woman has, you know, a Yulan, only wanting to deliver a letter and then get out of Dodge because the Khan was still looking for her, was cleared. It was revealed that nothing happened between her and Cheng. So, of course, he marries both of them, and the three of them live happily ever after? I didn't devote as much time to Yulan's story as Mulan's for many reasons. 
kind of because I can't seem to write a short episode anymore, but also for that to have any sort of payoff story-wise, you need to be invested in the love story of Chang and Shayan enough that you want them to get together, but not so much that you're mad that he shares a bed with another woman and marries her as well. This is very much an expanded and darker take on the Mulan legends from the 1600s, from a novel called The Romances of the Sui and Tang. If you're interested in a simpler, older take on the Mulan story, and don't mind some very rough production value and delivery, we covered it way back in episode 4. I linked it in the show notes. Next week, we're diving back into Greek myth for a pure mythology episode, where Dionysus travels to the underworld and pretends like he's Hercules and all sorts of stuff happens. This is before we started on the Odyssey and the Aeneid in the coming months. The creature this week is the Manticore, from Persian folklore. Manticore literally means man-eater, and it does exactly what it says on the tin. And that's a good reason to be scared of the Manticore, but I found a better one. How the thing looks. See, the Manticore has the body of a lion, a tail that's something between a scorpion and a porcupine, and the face of a human. It honestly, it doesn't sound bad, but check out the post on mythpodcast.com for some pictures, because it is super unnerving, but not in a good way that a mythological creature would want. That's all because the manticore has three rows of teeth, which, that's too many teeth to fit inside a human head. It looks weird, with depictions ranging from what's essentially a dapper lion joker to someone who's trying to strain and force a smile for a picture. The manticore, in any way, just looks super uncomfortable. That won't stop them from making you uncomfortable, though, because, as their name asserts, they are extremely deadly to humans. So much so that when they eat people, they leave no trace, not even bones. And I was being specific when I said people, because unlike most creatures, this one doesn't pick off lone wanderers, but waits for a whole meal of humans to travel past. To subdue the group, it uses its tail, which includes a stinger one cubit in length, which, if you're wondering, in the ancient world was more or less the distance between your elbow and the end of your hand on the same arm. Oh, and some versions of this monster can shoot poisonous barbs that will instantly kill anything that's not an elephant. It's said that people around the world, when they hunt this animal, go after the babies. And they don't kill them, so, you know, don't worry. But they take off the tail, because that's the most dangerous part, leaving just a lion with a creepy human face and three rows of sharp teeth. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.